Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to New Hope Community Church. If we haven't met before, if you're new here, my name is Pastor Justin Domino. Uh, this morning, we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you have your Bible, go ahead and grab it. If not, it'll be up on the screen for you, so no worries there. If you do need a Bible, you don't own one or anything like that, they can be really expensive. So out on our front desk, there's some free Bibles there. Take it home with you. That's our gift to you today. But we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And I want to begin by talking about a man who we probably all know. And I'm not a historian, so I don't know all the details about Henry Ford, but Henry Ford was an amazing man, an American legend, an American pioneer who completely changed the culture of America as we know it. Now, if you know anything about the assembly line and how Henry Ford innovated our entire way of doing business, it used to be so in the back, you know, back in like the 1800s, early 1900s, that anytime something would be manufactured, we would do it the most expensive way possible which included getting a small team of people together who were extremely skilled and experts in one thing, and they all worked on the project together. But Henry Ford decided to change everything. He said, I'm going to make you each individually skilled in one thing, and I'm going to line you up in an assembly line, and you're going to do your one thing, and the car is just going to come along the line, right? You're going to do your one thing, pass it off to the next person. If you work in a job that's very repetitive and you only do one thing and you hate it, you can thank Henry Ford for your eight-hour shift job. But it, it was an amazing innovation where all of a sudden you can now manufacture vehicles for a fraction of the cost and you could pump out tens of thousands of them quickly and compared to just having a small team doing one car at a time, it was, it was an amazing thing, an amazing change. And then other businesses started to pick up on this and they're saying, hey, we can change manufacturing as we know it. And so Henry Ford isn't just known as, you know, the Ford motor guy, but he's known as an innovator, a pioneer into changing the culture of America as we know it. But there's some interesting things about Henry Ford. Now, he got very rich doing it. He was worth at his peak 200 billion dollars. It's amazing, right? That's more than Jeff Bezos and Justin Domino combined. That is amazing. It's an enormous amount of wealth. And can you imagine being that rich in a time where you could buy a cup of coffee for like four cents, right? I don't know how much it actually was, but your money went so much further back then. There's something interesting that many people don't know about Henry Ford. And a lot of historians and academic journalists, they actually say that studying the life of Henry Ford will make you realize that Henry Ford regretted his innovation. Not because it made him wealthy, not because many people got wealthy and it created the middle class, which is a good thing, but because of what it did to our overall business and culture mindset. There's a journalist named Maria Rainier, and she said this, Ford, having let the genie of mechanization and consumerism out of the bottle, had serious misgivings. His behavior throughout his career suggested a man deeply conflicted about his creation, driven by guilt and a sentimental longing for a simpler time. I'm reading this article last week as I was preparing for the sermon. I'm like, seriously? Right? The guy who innovated our entire manufacturing and entire American culture, he regretted what he did? There's no way. But in fact, what he used his money on later in life was building a place called Greenfield Village, if you've ever heard of it. It's a museum today. He actually built a town. Imagine having that kind of money, right? But it's this museum today of 
remembering a simpler time in America. And you can go visit it today. It's in the Detroit area. Or you can walk through these streets. And it's like going back in time into the 1850s. It's amazing. Now, we look at this and we say, oh, this is really cool, right? We can kind of go back in time. It's very nostalgic. But the reason many historians believe that he built Greenfield Village is so that he could go back to a simpler time before his innovation because he recognized, yes, there was a lot of good things that came from it. People got rich. People got wealthy. They created the middle class. That's a good thing. Poverty is not good. So he helped a lot of people. But in that, it created a culture of mass consumerism, mass production, and mass greed. It touched on something that's in everybody's heart, not just Americans' hearts, but everybody around the world. We all have a love and a longing for financial security. It doesn't matter if you're super wealthy, doesn't matter if you're poor, doesn't matter if you're middle class. We love the idea of being safe and secure in our money. And that's a good thing, but we can also easily feed our need for greed. I did not mean to rhyme that. But it reminds me of Proverbs chapter 19, verse 2, which says, Desire without knowledge is not good. How much more will hasty feet miss the way? The wisdom that God is giving us through this proverb is exactly what we need to hear when we tie it to money. Desire without knowledge is not good. A man like Henry Ford, who desired to build this big business, what he failed to ask himself before he started all this was, is this good, not only for me, but is this good for culture? Because we can desire so many things. I think the wisdom that God is giving us in this proverb is that you can desire anything you want to. You can desire more money, a promotion, starting your own business, all these good things. But do you know what it's going to do to you? And we probably can't fully answer that question until we're in it. But I think it's wise as we're in this series about money, I think it's wise that we ask ourselves, what is more money going to do to me? If I take that promotion, if I, or if I quit my job and I want to start my own business, what is this money going to do to me? Is it going to feed my pride? Is it going to take me away from my family? Or is it actually going to be a good thing? What we learn from this proverb is that we can't always actually trust our desires, but we have to ask the question, is this good for me? Is this good for my family? And I think that this is the question that Henry Ford answered himself, but much too late. Now, I'm not your typical like millennial who's like, oh, capitalism is bad, right? We should just try socialism again, but do it right this time. It's not going to work, okay? Like, I believe in capitalism is probably one of the best systems for a broken world. It's not perfect, but it's a broken world. But as we live in a capitalistic society where we're very consumeristic, it's all about money and stuff, we have to ask ourselves, not only how is it affecting our culture, but how is it affecting me? And so I want to begin today by talking about we have to manage our money before it manages us. And there's two ways to think about that. That's both practical and it's theological. Like practically, if you don't manage your money, you will become a slave to your money. But I'm not going to stand up here as a 28-year-old with no financial degree and say, okay, here's how you're going to manage your money today. Don't trust me on that. I will say to you, it's really good to spend less than you make. Okay, It's a great principle. That's where where everybody should start. So I'm not going to give you financial advice today when it comes to practical advice like that. 
But if you need some, if you're behind on your bills, if you're struggling with debt, here's some three options that I want to throw up on the board for you. Robin will throw up. It's Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University, youneedabudget.com, mint.com. If you're struggling, start at one of these three places. If you need to write it down, you can do so. But these are three great places to start. What I want to talk about more so today is more of the spiritual side behind managing your money. And what I really mean by that is managing your relationship to your money. Because if you don't manage your money well and your relationship to your money well, you will become a slave to your own desires, your own greed, and your own pride. But 1 Timothy chapter 6 The Apostle Paul is telling this young protege kind of pastor who's living in a culture very much like like America. It's it's a city called Ephesus. It's very modern. It's very wealthy, high in education. And Timothy is a pastor in this setting, which sounds a lot like America, right? It's not totally similar. similar. It's 2,000 years apart, but it's a lot like America. And so if we go to 1 Timothy 6, here's what Paul tells Timothy, this young aspiring pastor. He says, but you, man of God, Flee from all of this. Now, what is all of this? Over the previous weeks, we've been going through this chapter, and Paul has been telling Timothy that consumerism and materialism and a love, a sinful love of money, that's all worldly. That's all sinful. Now, money is a reality. Obviously, we need it to pay our bills, things like that, but we can't love it. He also says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And so he's telling Timothy, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and in the sight of Christ Jesus, who, while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made his good confession, I charge you, Timothy, to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. And this is who God is. I love how Paul ends this portion to Timothy talking about money. God, he's the blessed and only ruler. He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who, gives, and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. To him be honor and might forever. Amen. You know, I love how, how Paul talks to Timothy because he starts off talking about a very difficult topic about money. But he starts off perfectly. What often leads us into sin? Just in general, not just a love of money, but what often leads us into sin? It's a lack of knowing who we are. It's us questioning our own identity. It's us, okay, yeah, we know we come to church, but God, do you really love me? Am I really your child? But how does Paul start off talking to Timothy? He says, you, man of God. And we can take that for us and say, okay, I am a man of God, or I am a woman of God. And as we fight sin in our lives, especially when it comes to greed or a love of money, we have to know who we are. That you and me, if you are a believer, if you are a follower of Jesus, practicing the way of Jesus, you're a Christian, you are a son or daughter of God. And so whatever you face in life, you are fighting against sin, knowing who you are. You know what your identity is. 
When we fall into sin, we start questioning, oh, does God really love me? Who am I? Am I still a Christian? I don't know. But when you act out of, and when you're empowered by your own identity that you are a son or a daughter of God, you can fight any sin by God's power. You have to know who God is. And so if you're sitting here today saying, man, my financial life is a mess. Not only only am I behind on my bills, not only am I feeling like I'm living paycheck to paycheck, I feel like I'm a slave to everything in my life. I can't stop going to Caribou, but it's just so good. If you're not only behind practically, but also philosophically or theologically, and you're saying, man, money just has a grip on my heart. It's got a grip on my soul. I can't stop thinking about it. It doesn't matter if I have a lot and enough, or if it doesn't matter if I have a little bit and I'm always stressed about it. I can't stop thinking about money, and all I want is more of it. But every time I get more of it, I still can't stop thinking about it. That's a problem. But you got to know today who you are. You're a son or daughter of God. And when we fight from that position, we know that God is with us. We just went through a series about six months ago talking about how the Israelites were pulled out of slavery in Egypt, the whole book of Exodus. And there's a powerful moment when when the Israelites are struggling because they're wandering through the desert trying to get to their promised land. And they have enemies that are, that are trying to fight them as they're wandering through the desert. They're, they're in literal physical wars, and they're getting all stressed. They're getting all nervous. And God says to Moses, he says, hold up your arms. As long as your arms are up, your strength comes from God, and you will win your battle. But he says, you only need to be still. I will fight for you. And this is what we're doing when we're in this fight against the sin of love for money. We are holding up our arms and we are saying, I am a son or a daughter of Christ. God's going to fight for me. He's going to take this sin from my life. He's going to give me grace. He's going to give me mercy. And that's going to empower me to no longer be stressed and anxious and constantly thinking about money in our situation. But I trust God. I believe in God. He's my provider. This is who I am. But it's so great because Paul says, Timothy, I want you to flee from this. And when he says flee from all of this, this consumerism, this greed, this unhealthy, sinful love of money, he says flee from this and turn to godliness. Now, this is very simple, but the truth behind this is that if godliness is over here and consumerism, greed, and materialism, that's all over here, what we have to realize is that they're two different things. We cannot love both God and be godly and also love money and have, be full of money and the love for it. We cannot have both, which reminds us of what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24 in the Sermon on the Mount to his disciples. He said, you cannot serve two masters. You're either going to hate one and love the other, or you're going to hate the other and you're going to love the other one. We can't serve both. And so what we have to know today is I want to make this very clear too. It's okay to have money, whether you're rich, middle class, or poor. Your status doesn't matter. What matters is your heart posture towards your money. And Paul is telling Timothy, hey, you might be rich one day. You might stay poor. You might stay a middle class pastor, wherever you are. Flee from the love of it. Flee from the grip of it. Follow me. Follow Jesus. Put your hope and your trust in him. I love the way that the King James Version puts this verse from Jesus. Now, the King James Version, I'll just be very blunt, and I will confess this later. It's really boring and hard to read. (laughs) All the these and the vows, if you read that, good for you. (laughs) Hats off to you. 
For me, it just collects dust at home because I don't know how to read it. But the way that it translates, it's a really great Bible because it actually translates the original Greek language and the Aramaic language that Jesus actually spoke in, translates it really well into English. But the word that Jesus used for money, when he says you cannot serve two masters, you cannot serve both God and money, he doesn't say money, he says mammon. So if you've heard that before, you cannot serve God and mammon. That's where that comes from. Now, you might be thinking like, hey, it's my first time in church. What the heck is mammon, (laughs) right? Oftentimes, it's used as like the substitute word for money. But it's really interesting. Pastor J.D. Greer, he's a pastor and, and president of the Southern Baptist Convention. He says mammon is not just a thing. It's a personal power. It's a demonic power, one that comes into your heart with an actual will. So I want us to understand this, that the love of money isn't just like, oh, it's this, it's this personal problem, and I just got to, every day, just try to be more content. And yes, that's a, that's a great first step. But we can't fight spiritual battles, demonic battles, with non-spiritual ways. We can't fight our love for money just with a budget. Now, you should have a budget. It's a great start. But we have to fight our love for money by turning to Jesus, not just Dave Ramsey. It's a spiritual problem. And I was just talking to Pastor John right over here this morning about, about this very thing. And we had both read a book over the summer called um, Live No Lies. And it was this amazing book about how we believe the lies of the enemy, which was what our fasting series was about last month. But in that book, I didn't pick up on it. Pastor John did. But he said, did you know, in the book, it talks about how the only demon Jesus ever names in all of his life, in all of the Bible, is mammon, the love of money. And I didn't pick up on that, but that is so crucial because it does not matter if you're rich, middle class, or poor. Every single one of us, we struggle with this love of money or this grip that it has on us that if I don't have enough, I'm anxious, I'm depressed, I'm worried every single day. We struggle so much. But what this is, is it's not just a personal problem. It's a demonic problem. And so we need to learn how to fight knowing it's a spiritual battle. And what Paul tells Timothy is that we need to not just try to manage it, but we need to flee from it. That if we're going to truly overcome this, we have to know our identity and we have to fight, we have to pray, we have to live simply no matter how much we want or how much we have. We have to live simply because ultimately the money and the things that come with money, they don't satisfy our soul. They don't come with true freedom. We can only get that through our relationship with Jesus. And I know that that sounds like, okay, that sounds good, right? Very Christian. Good job, pastor. And it's something that we sort of say, but do we truly believe that that's true? And when I read 1 Timothy and how Paul is telling and teaching Timothy about the power and the grip of money and materialism, what he's really trying to get Timothy to understand is that you have to believe that the life Jesus offers is actually better than another boat. Like You have to believe that following Jesus is actually better than owning a cabin up in Brainerd. And I'm not against having those things. I would love a cabin up in Brainerd. <laughs> that would be fantastic. But it's also not what I want to live for. I know that a cabin up in Brainerd or a new car or this or that, it's ultimately, it's a good thing, but it's not going to fulfill me. It's not going to give me that longing in my soul that I have for fulfillment and satisfaction in life. Not this past Christmas, but last Christmas, 
my brother-in-law Garrett, we were sitting around a table playing cards, and he's like, hey, have you ever heard of Dogecoin? And I'm like, no, I know it's a cryptocurrency, which I don't know anything about. <laughs> and he's like, you should really buy some, because it's supposed to like really skyrocket in the next few months, and it's worth fractions of a penny. And so I'm like, okay, I'm not really for gambling, don't love that, but we had just sold our house. We were sitting on some cash, waiting to pay off our student loans. And so I was like, you know what? This feels like a gamble, so I'm just going to put 25 bucks on it, see what happens. And I checked my $25 in my Robinhood account every single day, and it was like $25, $26, $22. I'm like, okay, what is, what's going on? It's four months into this thing. All of a sudden, I think it was April 21st, I woke up, opened up my Robinhood account, my $25 turned into $1,300. Now, $1,300 isn't necessarily life-changing money. But just think of that for a minute. I don't even know what the math is on that, but $25 to $1,300, and I didn't do anything. And we had just sold our house, and all I could think of was, why didn't I put all my house money on this thing? And I know if I would have lost it, my wife would have killed me. But Maddie, I did the math, because there's a Dogecoin calculator. I'm like, we could actually be millionaires. <laughs> That's not very realistic for me in my profession, to be honest. <laughs> New Hope supplies me well, but I'm just going to be honest. The fact that there was a realistic chance that I could have become a millionaire, making a stupid decision, I'm not going to bet all my house money on it. I'll be very honest with you. I'm going to confess this. It still bothers me to this day. Still, like real. And what I realized in my own heart is that while we are so much better off financially because we took our house money and we paid off a lot of our student loans, which was a huge relief. We we're basically paying two mortgages. So it was a real bummer. <laughs> I think of what I could have had, but it's not only just like what I could have had. It's that feeling of I would have finally made it. Would have finally felt secure. So I want to confess to you today that this love of money isn't just a rich people on Wall Street thing. It's for all of us. And I think that's why it makes us so uncomfortable to talk about, especially in church. When we talk about money in church, oftentimes we just go to, oh, it's greed and it's those rich people. They're the ones that crashed the housing market and they got rich doing it. It's those guys. No, it's us. There's a famous philosopher and academic scholar named Notorious B.I.G., also known as Biggie Smalls. <laughs> I know, I'm so funny. So funny. I shared that with my wife last night, and she was like, okay. <laughs> I was like, that's funny. But he said, more money, more problems. Which is a famous line from one of his songs, but it's also very true. We're trying to solve our financial problems with the very problem that we have. More money isn't going to fix your anxiety and your depression. More, more money isn't going to fix your longing for more money because what happens when you get it? It's not enough. What we need is a spiritual fix for a spiritual problem. And for us, you know, maybe you're facing the demon of mammon. Or maybe you just in general have a deep lack of trust in God today. So I want to give you a moment before we close to spend some time in prayer with God by yourself. And the beautiful thing about confession and repentance 
is that every single time, God is gracious and merciful. And so many times we refuse to pray because we think God is just going to be mad at us. He's not. And you don't need me, the pastor, to do this for you. You can do this every single day. Wake up and say, God, I trust you today. Every need that I have, I need you to supply it. God, we thank you for your goodness and for your grace. And God, if there's anybody here today under the grip of the love of money, whether it's a a demonic issue or whether it's just a lack of trust personally in you, God, I pray today that you would overcome in our lives. I pray that you would be our God, that you would tear down our idols, that we wouldn't look after anything else for security or satisfaction in life, but it would only be you. And I pray, God, that today we can actually believe that a life of following you, the life that you call us to of godliness, is actually better than being wealthy or having more, more, more. God, I thank you so much that you've supplied many of us, whether it's with a lot of stuff and a lot of money and that you've, you've created generous people. But I also thank you for those of us who are middle class or for those of us who are poor. God, in every situation, we can praise you and we can trust you. You have revealed yourself to us in all of our situations. And God, we know that you are faithful, even when we're unfaithful. God, your faithfulness is there every single time. You are good, you are gracious, and you are a God of love. And so we thank you today. God, I pray that we can worship you going forward, not only with our money, but Lord, as we close in music today, God, may we lift up your name as you are holy, you are God alone, you are righteous. It's in your name I pray, amen.